Well, good morning. Uh, if you're here for the first time, you're with us online, know that we're so glad you're with us today. You know, I'm excited. Uh, we're going to be jumping in the book of Titus for the next five weeks uh, as we look at God's design for church leadership and the importance of discipleship and mentoring, uh, specifically older men, uh, mentoring younger men and older women to be mentoring younger women. And we'll see that next few weeks, as, as well as how our everyday life, our character and how we live is greatly shaped by our faith. You know, the book of Titus It's a very practical book where we see the intersection of belief and practice, where we see how we live is greatly shaped by what we believe. And the book of Titus is short. It's a short three-chapter book. Uh, In fact, there's 46 verses in the entire book, uh, which if if you've been with us all summer long, uh, it's a great contrast to the book of Exodus that we just finished last week. Uh, We're going to actually cover less text in the next five weeks than we did last week alone. Uh, And then uh, after five weeks in Titus, we're going to downshift again uh, and begin our uh, our journey through the book of John that was written very intentionally for those who do not believe to believe in Jesus, that they would read it and they would believe. And throughout the book of John, starting in September, y'all, I'm praying that we as a church, that we would have an evangelistic fervor, that we would see many people come to faith and believe, and that we as followers of Christ would be more grounded in what we believe just by us looking at the life of Jesus in the book of John. And so that's, that's starting in September, so be praying. But for the next five weeks, uh, we're going to be diving headfirst into Titus. You know, some have said that the book of Titus is an excellent church planting manual for building churches that not only survive, but thrive and stand the test of time, uh, which for us as a new young church, uh, that's still in a lot of ways kind of in our infancy stage, it seems to be uh, like it could be a great book for us to look at. I know I've said this several times over the past year and a half, um, but I also know that about half of our church uh, hasn't been with us or just has just started to be here for less than six or seven months, so it's probably good to say again, uh, we didn't come uh, to plant New City Church uh, just kind of whimsically as a flash in the plan to, to, to roll the dice and to see what happens. Uh, no, we've moved down here with 30 years in mind, not three We started New City Church to be another unwavering beacon of hope that unapologetically proclaims and displays Jesus in the Tampa Bay area that by God's grace will outlast each of our own lives that are here today for centuries to come, hopefully. You know, I I know God can do whatever he wants, and and I know that we're not promised tomorrow. And I I said this last week, y'all, God is God, and we're not, and we're yielded to his plans and not ours. But I'm going, to pr- I'm going to take the lead of Moses, as we saw in the book of Exodus, and I'm going to pray for our church, what God's word tells us that he hopes for his church, that we would withstand the fiery darts of the enemy, that we would be steadfast and long-suffering in a light post of the gospel that starts here in Tampa and then extends to the ends of the earth, that no matter what happens in our city and in our nation and in our world, that we as God's people would be faithful till the end. And, and all that to say... A few of the things that we see in the book of Titus are essential elements for that to happen, just for, la- for laying the foundation of a church that lasts. And, and I don't say this lightly, because out of everybody in this room today, our text probably, and I, I would say it certainly points more to me right now as a pastor than maybe anybody else. And I'm very aware of that. But by the end of our time today, I'm going to present two men from our church to each of us Uh, that will join me in what our text calls for, and it's to put in place elders so that we would have a plurality of elders for our church who are qualified men to help lead our church that we will, by God's grace, formally commission later in September. 
You know, in a lot of ways, uh, this is a monumentous time uh, in the life of New City Church. It's just yet another evidence of God's grace for us, uh, and it's, it's most certainly something for us to celebrate, right? While at the same time, I also know these are weighty matters that we can't just skim by. And I, uh, and I know our Exodus series was pretty dense with a lot of heavier teaching, having to explain and teach more technical things, uh, which if you were new to the Bible, it could have been a bit more challenging to follow. Well, today, uh, as I teach on elders, it will be somewhat of a continuation of that. Uh, so try to stay with me. But I do believe it will be helpful and profitable for us as we seek to understand what's involved in this topic of pastors and elders. Uh, but then after today, as I said, we're going to downshift uh, to less technical teaching and we'll, as we finish Titus and even more so as we get into the book of John. And, and maybe you're how I was uh, for most of my early Christian life, thinking, you know, all this church polity stuff, uh, all this church leadership stuff, y'all, y'all can give that to the birds. Uh, I, I just really didn't care all that much. I remember thinking in high school, uh, it just feels like church politics and seems uh, too much like a bunch of religious jargon that I just really didn't care about. And quite honestly, for me, it just felt really confusing (laughs) because you hear all these different names like the Pope and the Bishop and pastor and clergy and elder and deacon and overseer and disciple and apostle and priest Uh, and different denominations have different language and different rules and structures for how all this stuff works. You know, some churches do it this way. And some churches do it that way. And it feels like some churches have no clue what they're doing. (laughs) And it feels like you need a little pocket pamphlet to keep up with all the different types of church government. Today, I hope we can make sense of some of this. Uh, We certainly won't get into everything I just said. uh, But more specifically, we'll get into how it relates to us here at New City Church, but more specifically targeted to the office of pastor and elder. And for those that may not know this, you know, there's three different terms in the New Testament that are all used interchangeably as the same office. And those three terms are pastor, elder, and overseer. They're all the same thing. The term pastor that we hear so often is actually derived from the term shepherd. But the two we see Paul use when he writes this letter to Titus are elder and overseer. Again, it's all the same thing. And if you're new to the faith, or maybe you're on the outside maybe kind of looking in, you're somewhat exploring Christianity, uh, just, maybe just checking things out, trying to figure out why in the world this matters. Well, the most direct answer to that question is because, well, God's Word gives it to us as instruction, so it matters because God says it matters. And so that alone is sufficient a reason for us to follow the model that we'll see today. You know, the Bible models it, and so we do it. And then secondly, just as another reason why this matters, You know, I think we can agree in general that leadership matters. You know, most things, they rise and fall on leadership. We see this play out in our world all the time. Countries, they rise and fall on leadership. When a sports team struggles year after year, what do organizations do? They get a new leader, a new coach, or they go hire Tom Brady. You know, companies and organizations, if they they have strong leadership, right, they'll struggle. This is just a general principle that we see in our everyday life. Those who are leading have a greater responsibility. And it shouldn't be surprising to us that this is also true in the church. You know, leadership in the church, it deeply matters, which is why it's good and healthy to be patient when putting leaders in place. And it's also why Paul wrote this letter to Titus, one of the reasons. And if you're not a Christian, or maybe you just don't care or even care all that much about church, if that's you, I'd ask Uh, you today to let this be be a peek into the window from the outside looking in of what healthy church leadership should look like. 
Because I'm very aware that there are a lot of bad examples in our world of unhealthy church leadership, and I wouldn't be surprised if maybe you were even hurt or burned in the process, leaving your sour taste in your mouth regarding church, and you just don't want to have anything to do with church because of it. And let me say this to you. Can I try to paint a picture of what healthy church leadership should look like? And y'all, I know that no church is perfect. (laughs) We're not perfect in this. But we certainly have God's perfect word that gives us a healthy model to follow. So I pray that we would all listen up today as we seek to explore this topic on elders. Uh, So let's look at the first five verses of this letter. Uh, This is Paul's introduction, uh, and this is what Paul writes. Look at verse 1, starting in chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, Promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So the first four verses here are technically Paul's formal introduction. And verse 5 is the beginning of one of his first major sections. But I wanted to go ahead and read verse 5 because it points out where we're going today and then we'll come back, and we'll come back to the introduction. Again, Paul said in verse 5 that he left Titus in Crete, which was a city, so that he would put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as he directed them. Paul instructed Titus to put into order what remained, or just to say it a different way, to straighten out what remained. It's that, it's that same idea of an orthodontist that straightens out crooked teeth. Uh, you know, I had some crooked buck teeth growing up, and so what did my mama do? She took me to the orthodontist, uh, put my mouth full of metal bra- braces, and she straightened it. we straightened out those bad boys. And that's what Paul is telling Titus to do in order to straighten out the church. And one of those ways he was to do that was to appoint elders, a plurality of elders, not just one elder, but multiple elders in order to oversee and to shepherd and to lead and to care for the church so that they could straighten out what was crooked and to hopefully keep it straight. Which leads us to our main idea today. God appoints qualified elders to oversee the church. And I use oversee intentionally here because we see later Paul speaks about the office of overseer, someone who overlooks and watches over the church like a shepherd watches over his sheep. They're under his care and leadership. And just as a fun little side note here about this term elder, you know, I read an article several months back about the origins of the term elder, which literally means someone who's older in the community. Um, It doesn't come with an assigned age, but I've always kind of wrestled with this because I know I'm really not that old. But then I read this article, and it, y'all, it made me feel so much better about myself. Uh, right or wrong, you know, an elder during this time uh, was commonly referred to as a person who was of age to grow a beard, <laughs> which I was like, great, I fit that bill, uh, so I guess that affirms that I'm old enough to be an elder. Uh, but then again, I played baseball with a man-child named Gator uh, in the eighth grade that had a full beard, so I'm not so sure that idea works. Uh, but all that to say, there's actually not a set age in Scripture that determines qualifications for elders. Right? The qualification for elders, as we'll see in a few minutes, are more about character than any skill or competency or age. 
Now, there are competencies and giftings that are required for elders, but most of the qualifications are about character and how they're to live their life, which is why I want to emphasize one thing in this introduction that is very important before we move on. You know, in verses 1 to 4, we, see, uh, we saw one long sentence saying that this letter is written by Paul to Titus, a younger man in the faith. Paul shows us who he is. He's an apostle. He's a servant of Jesus for the sake of the faith so that others around him would, uh, would know Jesus. In essence, that he was saved to serve, which is true for every Christian. We see a lot of things in those first four verses. But the part of this introduction I want to really emphasize that I believe sets the tone for the rest of our time today and also for the entire series is in, is in verse 4. Because in verse 4, Paul says... To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And then what I also want to point out is Paul ends the letter in Titus 3 by saying, grace be with you all. And then also the very center of the letter, the apex of the letter, Paul emphasizes grace again. In Titus 2, 11 and and 12, Paul says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. You know, throughout this letter, Paul, we see Paul say a lot of things that we are to do and to be. And I hate to break it to us, but our grit and determination, it won't work to be the things we're called to be in this book. And what is so important for us to continually see, the one thing Paul knows and wants to emphasize at the beginning, the middle, and the end is that we need grace. Y'all, Paul, Paul knew that Titus needed grace. Not just the grace of God to save us from our sins, which is good and right and true, and we'll talk about that today. And if you don't know what that is, it's in, we have incredible news that you won't want to miss. But what we also certainly can't miss is that we also need grace to sustain us and to transform us, and to change us, and to uphold us till the end. We can say it this way. God's grace is essential for growing and sustaining godliness. We know the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that God gives to us to sustain us and to make us more like Jesus. If we don't see God's grace and lean on God's grace as we look at this, this can feel like a crushing weight. And I want to be brutally honest with you. This next part that we're about to dive into has always been so hard for me because I know that so much of my flesh leans towards so much of this. And I know that because when I look at my life before Jesus and what it looked like in the path that I was going towards, and we read our passage today, what is blatantly obvious is that the picture we see here in our passage is without a doubt the exact opposite of what my life looked like before Jesus. And in all of that, I can't help but be so thankful for God's grace to work in me over the past 19 years of my life and be reminded that, yes, I still need an ongoing supply of God's grace because I, t- I, st- I too, still fall short. I, too, am a sinful man that needs the ongoing, transforming power of God's grace. I need grace. Our future elders that, I'll pre- that we'll present today, they, too, need God's ongoing grace. And let's be honest here, every pastor you know, they also need God's grace. Because as we're about to see, this is a high calling. There is a high standard. And what is essential to all of this is a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus that daily comes to the throne of grace. Yes, we're looking at qualifications, but the ongoing theme I'm going to remind us of today is grace. Yes, today's sermon is about elders, but it's also about our need for grace. You know, this isn't just for pastors. This is true for each of us as we seek 
in our own lives to grow in godliness because we all need grace. And so that said, the next four verses that we'll look at show a long list of qualifications uh, that we'll break up into our first three sections uh, to help us think through these specific qualifications that elders are to hold to. And then the last seven verses, we'll see this thing, uh, we'll see these things put into practice. We'll see kind of a case study uh, as our last point. And so if you're taking notes, here are uh, four ideas that will help guide our time for the qualifications of elders. Uh, and we'll go through each of these pretty quickly. Number one, qualifications for his family. Number two, qualifications for his character. Number three, qualifications for his competencies. competencies. And number four, qualifications put into practice. And something I want to point out, maybe you're thinking, wait, did he just say his in all of these points? And I want to address this because uh, before we dive headfirst into these qualifications, because I, I know that this can be troubling for some. And again, remembering that God's word is our ultimate authority. We follow God's word, right? We don't fit God's word to follow our culture or our preferences. And something we see in our text is that God's word is clear that qualified men are to hold the office of pastor and elder. There's not a single instance in the Bible where we see women as pastors or elders. And with what we're about to read, we'll see all of these qualifications are directed specifically towards men. And what I want to make absolutely and abundantly clear is that this does not mean that women are not to lead in the church. We see women throughout the, throughout the Bible leading God's people in various ways. But for the specific office of pastor and elder, it is clear in God's word that it is designated to men. Now, we could go over all over the epistles, the pastoral epistles, and show this in different ways. But from our text today, we see Paul say, or he says, elders are to be the husband of one wife. But he doesn't say the wife of one husband. And then Paul follows with the masculine he pronoun four times. Showing that this entire section is directed specifically towards men. And then later in Titus, however, he makes the clear distinction. Right? And he addresses both men and women in Titus 2 in different ways. But he doesn't do that in Titus chapter 1. And, I, and again, I know this can be troubling. And I want to make sure we understand that this does not mean that men are better or more equipped. It just means that God has called men to step up and lead the church in the specific office of pastor and elder. I mean, from the beginning of time, when God created Adam and Eve, God's design for men has been to lead their wives and their families. And because of the fall ever since, men have had a natural bent towards passivity. And part of God's redeeming work in creation is to call men to step up and lead, rejecting passivity, and specifically in the home and in the church. Again, this does not make men better or more significant or more important. The women in the church, than, than the women in the church, but rather it shows that God has designed both men and women to have different roles in marriage, in the home, and also within parts of the church. But more specifically, what we see today for the office of pastor and elder. And women, don't miss this, okay? We have example after example of God's word where women step up and lead and are used in incredible and courageous ways. And here at New City, we want to champion women to be courageous leaders in, in our church, in our communities, in the workplace, and in their homes. I mean, women of New City, there is no hiding this. God is using you, and he wants to use you in incredible ways, and we want to celebrate that here. I mean, y'all, if you just kind of look around, there's no hiding this. We have more women in our church than men. 
And so for all of the women out there, and uh, see these qualifications for elders as one of God's ways to, for men to step up and to be the godly men that all of you want to see here in our church. If you want to know the standard we want to hold our men to here at New City, this is it. We set a high bar for our men to grow into full maturity in Christ. We don't want to lower the bar here. We raise the bar, while at the same time, deeply depending on God's grace, praying that our men wouldn't strive for this out of their own grit and determination and strength, but rather simply because they're deeply rooted in Jesus. Again, grace is essential in all of this. It says, go to Jesus in our weakness. We don't start with do better and be better. We start and end by being with Jesus. So my prayer for us today is that both men and women would see this as characteristics for everyone to aspire to, whether you hold the office of elder or not, as a way for us just to measure the maturity of the character in our own life. This, and this is not to be crushing and discouraging, making us believe we don't measure up, but rather this is for us to see how we all desperately need Jesus. We need more of Jesus. And also, women, if you want to know the character traits uh, of what to look for in a spouse or how to pray for them to grow in godliness, here's a list. <laughs> uh, so let's look back in verse 6 more specifically to see more of the targeted qualifications for elders and get back to our first set of qualifications. Look at verse 6. It says, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Paul just gets straight at it. Uh, But notice here, Paul says, above reproach, which he also says again later in verse 7. He says it twice. He says above above reproach is somewhat of an umbrella term, where what follows it is what it actually looks like. And so if you've ever heard that and wonder what that means, our our character qualities that we see today, that describes what that means for us uh, to be above reproach. And then after that, after he says above reproach, he says, husband of one wife. Or it could also be uh, translated a one-woman man, which I think would be more helpful for us to use today. Uh, And then the second one, uh, the second one is is targeted more towards our children, leading us to our first set of qualifications. Number one, qualifications for his family. You know, the the, the two categories that stand out here, again, are with his marriage and with his kids and parenting. Now, this does not mean you must be married to be an elder. Neither Paul nor Jesus were married because they had a specific call to singleness. I'll say, uh, I believe there is wisdom and things that are learned in marriage that would prove to be helpful as an elder, but I also don't think Paul and Jesus would be disqualified. (laughs) So I don't think we we should be too rigid about that. We see here that an elder is not to have multiple, multiple wives, which for us today isn't typically a major problem as it was during Paul's time, which is why saying he's to be a one woman man, I think is more helpful for us. Because that includes things such as physical and emotional affairs and pornography, as well as various other things. Again, pastors and elders are to be a one-woman man. Then he goes into his kids, which gets a bit tricky. Because the qualifications for his kids, it says in verse 6, says they're to be believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. Which is to say it another way, it means like excessive indulgences or, or extremely defiant Uh, Now, I want to point out something here, because this could be troubling depending on how we understand this, and it would disqualify a lot of men from pastoral ministry. To clear this up, this word believers here is also translated as faithful. In that same exact, in this passage, in Titus 1, 
which would be more in line to the exact parallel passage that Paul wrote back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, where there he says they're to be submissive children and to have a well-managed household, which seems to be the more accurate understanding of this qualification. Because in contrast, if we read this as kids needing to be believers that, that would make a profession of faith that would then lead them to then be baptized, This would be troubling in a few ways because we need to keep in mind that fathers do not save their children. We know that God is the one who does the saving and not fathers, so fathers can't be held responsible for the salvation of their kids. But they are responsible, however, to teach and proclaim the gospel to them regularly and repeatedly. They can teach his children God's word and show them how to live according to God's desire. And this would fall under a well-led and a well-managed household that we see in 1 Timothy. And hopefully it would not lead them to debauchery and insubordination. And notice it doesn't say perfect obedience from children. Suggesting that they never disobey, that they never talk back, that they never take three minutes too long to respond to what we've asked them to do. And it doesn't mean they never have tantrums and never whine or complain because let's remember, kids need grace just like parents do, just like us adults do. But rather it says faithful, submissive, and well-managed. And the big idea that Paul's getting at here is to look to see how men manage their families in their household, which is their first place of leadership. And that will be a good indicator of how he would lead and shepherd a church. If a man is not faithful to his wife and to his kids, he probably won't be faithful to a larger, larger flock of the church. And so let's look at these uh, next two verses. It's another impressive list of qualifications. Uh, these last two groupings, uh, they'll go a bit faster. So look at verse 7 and 8. For an overseer... As God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. What a list, right? Just to break this down for us, I want to point out that these two verses start with the negative of what not to do and is contrasted to the positive of what to do. We don't have time to go into each of these in depth, so we're going to look at them in groups more quickly, uh, seeing and highlighting our second point. Number two, qualifications for his character. Again, he said, uh, an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach, and then he describes what it looks like to live above reproach, which is not arrogant, not quick-tempered, not a drunkard, not violent, and not greedy for gain. And just to show the contrast of this, we could say elders should be humble and patient Show much self-control with a responsible use of alcohol or none at all. And then should be gentle and generous. And then Paul continues in verse 8 with the positive character qualifications, which again are hospitable, kind of the idea of having people in their homes. They're a lover of good and self-controlled. They're upright, holy, and disciplined. These are the character qualifications for elders. Men aspire to this. Women aspire to this as well. And pray for these, for all of our men to grow towards this. And I know that these lists can feel daunting, which again is why I'm so thankful that Paul reminds us several times in this book of grace. We need God's grace to save us, to grow us, and to sustain us till the end. Again, our own grit and determination, it won't cut it. Which is why I would argue that the single most important thing that an elder does is to daily be with God in his word and to be fully alive in Jesus. 
Because if not, these are things that will fall apart very quickly. Listen, I am very aware that we have an enemy that would love nothing more than to disqualify the leaders in the church. And if our leaders are not deeply abiding in Jesus and confessing sin and leaving nothing unconfessed and living in community and daily depending on the Lord, our enemy will find a way to creep in. And I don't mean this lightly. Y'all pray for me. Pray for our leaders. Pray for, pray, for all the, pray for the pastors that will present to you today that we would be white hot in our devotion to Jesus and that God's grace would sustain us and keep us. Oh, you, can, you can ask my wife. I have wept over this text this week. Praying for grace. God, I need your grace. God, we need your grace. I'm praying for 30 plus years of faithful pastoral ministry. And y'all, I know I desperately need God's grace to remain faithful till the end. New City Church, I beg of you, pray for me. Pray for us. Pray for my family. Pray for our leaders and our future elders. Please pray for us. Make it a regular habit. But we need to keep moving. Let's, let's go ahead and look at verse 9 to get to our third set of qualifications. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Just to say these again in a different way, elders are to hold firm to God's word so that he can give sound instruction and also so that he can rebuke what contradicts it, leading us to our third set of qualifications, number three, qualifications for his competencies. Notice what it does not say here. It's not his education. It's not his ministry resume. It's not his charisma. It's not his wealth or a successful career. It's not being well-known in the community. And let me remind you, in case you were wondering, uh, as fun as this may be, it's not his ability to grow a beard. <laughs> uh, outside of his character, the one major competency for an elder in his, is in his ability to know the word and to teach the word. We see Paul tell Titus here the same thing he told Timothy, saying, watch your life and watch your doctrine. It's kind of that same idea he said back in 1 first, in first Timothy. However, in conjunction with our second point, you can know all the right things to say. You can have a PhD in systematic theology and have the entire Bible memorized, know all the Christian jar jargon, be an incredible teacher and communicator and preacher, but if your life doesn't match, it doesn't matter. And the same thing is true here. You can have all the character traits, be the nicest, most humble person in the world, but if you don't know the word and you can't teach the word and pick up on false teachings for the purpose of rebuking, it also doesn't matter. It doesn't mean you have to stand up here every Sunday and preach, but it does mean you need to be able to know the word and to teach the word, which for us as New City Church is why elders are first city group leaders who show that they have a competency in teaching. Paul said, Elders need to hold firm to God's word as taught. They need to have their doctrine and theology right. They need to know God's word. But it's for two, but it's for two purposes. It's to give instruction to others and to be able to lovingly and gently rebuke others who may have it wrong. Again, something just to point out. The way we have our D groups and city groups is designed and structured is to be a place where all of these things can be put into practice where we can better know the Word and have others grow in teaching the Word. And there's a dialogue. And when we have open dialogue, there's going to be things that are sometimes off and maybe not right. And qualified elders need to be able to pick up on these things and gently and lovingly correct while not being arrogant and prideful and quick-tempered in the process. For example, 
If someone has the audacity to bring celery and carrots as a snack to a city group, right? that deserves a sharp rebuke, especially if they leave the ranch at home, okay? I'm kidding. <laughs> but let's go ahead and read to the end of our chapter to see a case study of some legitimate examples okay, of things that need to be rebuked back in Paul and Titus' day as a bit of a continuation of this last point, specifically in regards to knowing and correcting the word. Look at starting in verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain that they ought not teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. To the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Oh, I love Paul. (laughs) He just cuts straight to the point. We know that he's this gentle and humble, uh, kind of unassuming man in person. But then he'll also kind of tell you how it is. Uh, He's both gentle and loving while also bold and direct. I love it. Uh, And this is... Paul's bold and direct side, okay? Seeing our fourth and final section here, number four, qualifications put into practice. You know, we just read that there is a group of people called the circumcision party, which sounds like a great name for a group of people. But this group of people, Paul says, are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. It just sounds like a bunch of troublemakers. And Paul is telling Titus, in essence, you need elders that can deal with these people that are spreading false teachings and upsetting people in the process. Now, this group of people during this time, they had their own sort of false teachings kind of bubble up. They were devoting themselves to Jewish myths, it says, and causing people to turn away from the truth. And if you remember back in verse 5, Paul told Titus to put things back into order in Crete, in this area of Crete, the city. Because things there, they've gotten a little crooked, and they need to be straightened out. And so what did Paul do? He told, he told Titus to appoint elders that have godly character and firm convictions to God's word, that are able to sniff out these false teachings and correct what needs to be corrected. And as we see this, for us today, this same responsibility is given to the elders of the church. They're to sniff out what is false and to keep and uphold what is good and right. And the only way to do that is for elders to know the word, to be in the word, and to be sound in faith. And so just kind of as a continuation of this last point of what this looks like in practice, you know, after everything we just said in the last 10 minutes of our time today, we're going to ask this question. Okay, like what are the responsibilities of elders? Like what do elders actually do? And then we'll kind of land the plane with a few specifics here for us here at New City. And to make this simple for us, pastors shepherd the church like a shepherd cares for his sheep. I know I've had several interactions with shepherd, or with, with sheep in my day, uh, and there's no question about it. Y'all sheep are dumb, okay? They just are. Uh, like, they're just not very smart animals. I know when we were in Kazakhstan, uh, the school that we taught at was next to a, a sheep farm. And every day, both going and leaving, we drive by herds of sheep, and every day, their, their shepherds, they would be with them. And this, this, this one shepherd, he was sitting up on his horse with his water bottle and a bottle of Coke kind of dangling from the horse, hanging there. Uh, he had his cowboy hat on uh, and he had boots. 
And the guy was probably like 5'1", 110 pounds soaking wet, just like a tiny guy. But he sat up on this massive horse and he just watched his sheep. That's what he did. He just watched his sheep. And every day we'd we'd drive in and I'd just kind of watch this guy and observe him from a distance as we were driving through this field, wondering why he was always out there just with his sheep. And several times I saw him, you know, like kind of fend off wild animals. They're kind of staring down those foxes. A few times I saw him feeding them. Most days he was kind of steering them towards, towards better pasture. I saw him a few times kind of take care of their wool coats. One sheep I saw, he got uh, caught in some brush, uh, and so he had to go out and get them. And one day I was driving home, and we were on our way home. There was one sheep that somehow climbed up on top of this 15-foot boulder, and it couldn't get down. <laughs> it was just kind of posted up on top of this boulder, uh, just stuck. And I see this tiny little man with his horse tied up, his cowboy hat off, kind of almost rock climbing up this boulder to get this sheep off of this massive boulder. And I asked the guy that was driving us, you know, we had a, we had a driver because driving was crazy there. Like, hey, do you think this guy needs help? And part of me thought it'd be fun just to get out and help this guy climb up there and get the sheep. It would made the story way better, but that's not what happened. But then the guy driving said, and I'll never forget it. He said, no, uh, he'll get it. He'll do it. He's got it. That's just what shepherds do. Now, I think, that, I think it would have been nice for me to get out and help this guy. I think that our driver just wanted to get home. But it stuck with me because it gave me a picture to hold on to about pastoral ministry. In essence, seeing when sheep need help or do silly bonehead things, their shepherds are there to help them. And so what are the responsibilities of pastors and shepherds? Shepherds feed the sheep. Pastors and elders teach God's word to feed God's people. Shepherds lead the sheep. Elders are to lead and direct the church to keep the church going in the right direction. Shepherds protect the sheep. They keep out the wolves. They guard them. Pastors and elders guard the church from false teaching and deceit. They guard people when they're being led astray. And then lastly, shepherds care for the sheep. When sheep sheep are hurting and wounded or make bonehead decisions... Shepherds are there to attend the wounds to help them. That's what pastors and elders do. They, they counsel and care and provide encouragement and exhortation to people, uh, to the people that God has entrusted to them. And there's no doubt about it. Well, this is a high and weighty calling because as we know, we live in a broken world where sin and evil still exist. And pastors, yes, pastors, we sin too. The Bible is very clear that all have fallen short of the glory of God. You know, there is not a single person in this room today or on this planet, including myself, that doesn't need the gospel daily. You know, we all need God's grace daily. And as we've said, the gospel that we so desperately need to help us, it shows and displays the grace of God. And it saves us and it changes us and upholds us and sustains us. And listen, if you do not know the gospel, and if you have never heard it, in short, this is it. And it's that God has set a standard to uphold because of our sin nature. But because of our sin nature, we can't do it. We can't uphold the standard. But the gospel tells us that because we couldn't do it, Jesus did it for us. And and, and I know if you, I don't know if you caught this or not, but one of the qualifications for elders was to be holy. (laughs) That's what it said. Which means to be set apart and sacred. And we look at God's standards for what holy is, which includes everything in our life, our actions, our thoughts, the way we speak, everything. I hate to break it to you, but it's not attainable. God's standard and qualifications for us are too high, and we can't do it. 
And y'all, the bad news of the gospel is that there is not a single person on the planet that can uphold and meet these qualifications to be holy. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came and met all of these qualifications for us. And he went to the cross to die a criminal's death and rose from the grave so that every person in this room and on this planet who believes in him can then have access to the God of the universe in an intimate and a personal way. And then God comes to live inside of us and provides power to be transformed and changed with who God has called us to be. And if you're here today and you have put your faith in Jesus, I pray that you, that, that you would do that today. And t- If you have not put your faith in Jesus, I pray that you would do that today and tell someone. Tell me. Tell someone at the first time guest table outside. Just tell someone. And what I know is that every day we all fall short of God's standard including the very pastors that God has entrusted to lead his church. And without the grace of God shown in the gospel that both saves us and also transforms us, the task would be too difficult. Again, we're a broken church for broken people. Well, guess what? Our broken church also has broken leaders. And we too desperately need Jesus. We desperately need God's grace. And to end our time... Now, I'm excited to present to you our two new elder candidates that we believe God has equipped and that there has, has had their character molded to help feed, lead, protect, and care for the people of New City. And, it's, and their names are Brian Webb and Ryan Corbin. Uh, just, can we just take a moment, right, and just celebrate and praise God for the grace that God has shown to these men? Yeah, I mean, this is a huge, huge blessing for our church. If you don't know these men and their wives, I pray that you would uh, get to know them and their families, get to know them. They're, they will be a blessing to you. And part of, their, I mean, part of their responsibilities as pastors will be to help care for your soul, which will happen primarily through our group's ministry by caring for our current groups and their leaders and future groups. And what I want to remind us of today as we pre- present these elder candidates that will be, by God's grace, formally commissioned later in September, is that, yes, elders lead the church, but let's not forget that our church is ruled by Jesus. Yes, we're an elder-led church, but we are first ruled by Jesus, which is why we say New City Church is a Jesus-ruled, elder-led, and congregationally accountable church. Which means we, we elders can only lead the church after we're first being ruled by Jesus, signifying that Jesus is steering the ship and the elders are just seeking to follow his rule. But then lastly, we are congregationally accountable. There's a part of your job as a New City member is to hold all of these elders accountable I mean, if you see something in my life, you need to call me out, preferably in love. But if it doesn't get corrected or if it's not settled, then you need to go to these guys. And they need to set me straight. And the same goes for them. Y'all, this is such a weighty calling. But by God's grace, by keeping the bar high for us in leadership, this will help us to be a church that lasts, hopefully for many years to come. And so if, in a few minutes after this next song, we're going we're gonna to pray over these guys and their wives and also, and also me and Kelly. Because what I hope you've seen today is that God's grace to sustain us as pastors is essential to the calling before us. And, and so again, I beg of you, be praying for me. Be praying for these guys and for their families and their wives. Because we are without, we, without a doubt, we need God's help to stay abro- above reproach as we lead the church as God sees fit. And again, it's all by the grace of God. Let's pray. God, we, we, we as a church, we ask for your help that you would continue to, to sustain us, to keep our standard high. But Father, we, we know that we are first ruled by Jesus. 
that we as a church would follow you above all. Father, you are the, the ultimate leader and authority of this church. And so, Father, we submit to that. So, Father, we pray that there's anybody here that does not know Christ. Father, we pray that they would put their trust in Christ so that they can then to grow uh, in Christ and find fullness a, and, and be fully alive in Jesus. Father, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.